You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. On January 25th, 2015, I preached my first sermon as a pastor at Cities Church. We were at Minnehaha Academy. Actually, said we. Who was there? Does anybody? Anybody remember? You there, Steve there, Todd's there. Yeah. We were at Mini Haha Academy. I assume it was very cold outside. The following Sunday, February, we would begin our first sermon series in the book of Acts. But that Sunday was the second part of our formal launch. And so I preached from Romans 12, 1 to 2, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And the main thrust of the sermon was to connect worship and mission. Worship is the the heartbeat of the church that pumps life-giving blood to the rest of the body. We worship Jesus so that we can serve one another and seek the good of the cities. We gather weekly and we walk through the five C's of our liturgy as God calls us into his presence and we confess our sins and receive his pardons and then we are consecrated through song and sermon and we have communion with him at the Lord's table before we are finally commissioned out to be salt and light in the world. And that regular worship frees us so that we're not conformed to the world and gives us discernment and wisdom and humbles us so that we assess ourselves rightly and then binds us together as one body with many gifts on mission together. It was, it was under 30 minutes sermon. And as I preached that first sermon as a pastor at Cities Church, God knew that eight and a half years later, I would preach my last sermon as a pastor at Cities Church. On July 2nd, 2023, from Psalm 66. And just like that first sermon, I and we need God's help for this one. And so let's pray one more time together. Father, I do need your help to unfold your word, just like I did all those years ago. Lord, I love this people. I love the way that they have shaped and molded me and my family for these eight and a half years. And as Pastor David said in the exhortation, I want to continue to speak the word and preach the word for your glory and their good. So make that possible now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Part of our goal annually as we preach through the Psalms, we've been doing this for a lot of summers, summers in the Psalms, is to help orient us so that we're able to mine the riches of the Psalms together. So our, our hope is that you would, as we read them and preach through them, summer by summer, you would be able to to grow in your ability to reflect and meditate on the psalm so that your soul can be fed. And so that's sometimes why we uh, note connections between psalms so that you begin to see the psalms as a book and not just a random collection of songs. So for example, here in this section of the psalm, Psalm 65 to 68, if you look in the superscript, the little bit at the beginning, uh, all of them say a song. So a psalm, some of them are a psalm of David, 65, 68, but all of them say a song, and that was a, 
ancient liturgical term and is probably one of the reasons why these four were clustered together. But there's also thematic links between these psalms that we can see. And so we can just note a few of them between last week and this week, some of which continue into next week. So, for example, awesome deeds, right? So Psalm 65, 5, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. And then in today's psalm, say to God, how awesome are your deeds, or later, he is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of Adam, the children of man. So there's awesome deeds that are a thematic link, and then there's a, a global focus. So 65, 5, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. And then in today's psalm, shout for joy to God, all the earth, all the earth worships you. Bless our God, O peoples. So there's a global focus, something that I think Pastor Jonathan will pick up next week because that continues into Psalm 67. The temple and vows and sacrifices show up in all of these. So in Psalm 65, verse 1, to you shall vows be performed. You atone for our transgressions. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. And then in today's psalm, I will come into your house with burnt offerings and I will perform my vows to you. And then finally, prayer. 65 verse 2, O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon on that passage one time just called, The God Who Hears Prayer. And then in today's, at the end, blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer. So those links between the Psalms are opportunities for us to meditate and enlarge our vision of who God is and what he's done. But then on top of these themes, we also want you to help, help, to help you to notice there's structures in these Psalms that organize them, that the psalmist has put things together really well. So this one breaks down really nicely into five sections, each beginning with a, a key exhortation. I want you to see these because this is basically my outline for today. Got the first one, verses one to four, shout for joy. There's an exhortation. Verses five to seven, come and see what God has done. And then verses eight to 12, bless our God, O peoples. Then verse 13 to 15, no longer an exhortation, but a, but a, a, a promise or an expectation. I will come into your house, verses 16 to 19, or 13 to 15, sorry. And then 16 to 19, last exhortation, come and hear all you who fear God with that final verse 20, blessed be God, as sort of an exclamation point on the whole. That's how the psalm breaks down. You can just see how those sections work together. And so we're going to walk through each of these sections. And here's what I want you to be paying attention to. I want you to pay particular attention to what God has done or is doing. And I want you to pay attention to the possible human responses that the psalmist considers. So what God has done and how should we respond, pay attention to those. Section one, here we go, shout for joy. It opens with a cascade of exhortations. Shout, sing, give praise, say to God. These exhortations are addressed to everyone, all the earth, and it fills out the content of what you're to praise. Like say to God, how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worships you, sings praises to you. This is a triumphant note to begin this psalm. All these, most of these psalms in this section have a triumphant note. They celebrate God's power, his might. Actually, the word awesome, this is one of those words that's, that's, uh, that's tough. It's actually in the older translations, like you go read the King James, it's the word terrible. And it, it's, it's, that, it's a word that's meant to, like, the, the resp human response it, it considers is fear, but like reverence. And so at some point, 
terrible no longer meant reverence. It just meant terror. And so we shifted and said, ah, that's not the right word for it anymore. Let's do awesome. And then now we've just watered that word down because everything is awesome. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but you all got that. That's good. It's like, it's not the only pop culture reference that you may get in this sermon, I'm just going to say. Um, but the word awesome was a replacement for terrible, but we've watered it down. But it's meant to call forth a response of wonder and awe and reverence. Like, this, it's a little bit scary, right? It's not just like, oh, that's nice. Everything is cool. It's not just cool. It's like you, you fall on your face when you see awesome. Awesome could destroy you. God's power produces fear and reverence in his people. But then note in this first section that God's power is so great that his enemies come cringing to him like your dog does when it knows it's in trouble. Tail between the legs, right? This is not the response that the psalmist is aiming at. The psalmist wants joyful praise, glorious worship, but one possible response to awesome deeds is to come cringing. It's to come because God's power terrifies you. Okay, so just think about this kind of obedience. This is another response. This is the sort of obedience that is always looking for the exit. Like, I'll come, but if, you're, if I see your back is turned, I'm bolting again. It's important that we recognize this possible response. It's possible, it's possible to come to God, not because you've tasted his goodness and desire his holiness, but simply because you don't want his awesome to crush you. And so that language provokes a question for us. If, if God's power is so great that even his enemies come cringing, how are his friends going to come to him? If you're a friend of God, how should you come to him? What, what will your response to him be? That's section one. Section two, come and see. Having exhorted all the earth to shout joyfully, say to God, how awesome are your deeds, the psalmist now invites us to come and see these awesome deeds. And he has a particular story in mind. I wonder, when Hank read it, did you catch the illusion? He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. So when the psalmist wants us to see the awesome and glorious and terrible deeds of God, he takes us back to two stories, bookends. The Exodus, when God made a way for his people through the sea, and the book of Joshua, where God splits the Jordan River so that the armies of Israel pass over to take possession of the land. It's those two awesome deeds that the psalmist has particularly in mind. And that reminds us, quite frankly, of how important it is to know the stories of the Bible, to learn them by heart, to have those details so that you can catch the illusions in the Psalms. Otherwise, you're reading the Psalms, what river, what's he talking about, passing through, turning the sea, what is that? If you don't know Exodus, this Psalm, you will not have awesome in your soul. You will not respond with joyful worship if the stories of Scripture are not in your mind. You won't say to God, how awesome are your deeds, if you don't have those deeds in your heart and in your mind. So, he invites us to remember the people of Israel, desperate at the Red Sea, armies of Pharaoh in pursuit, and uh, a river, an unpassable, un, un, uh, impassable uh, sea in front of them, and then God parting the sea so that they pass through on dry land and then rejoice in God's deliverance. 
And so if you need a refresh of that, you should go back this week and read and meditate on Exodus 14 and 15, and then you could turn over to Joshua 3 and 4 and behold the same sort of thing at the Jordan River as they cross in to conquer the land. But again, here in this section, we're invited to consider an alternative response. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Now, here's my question for you, okay? If we're at the Red Sea, and you hear a reference to a self-exalting rebel, who do you think of? You can say it. Pharaoh. Okay, that's why you got another story. If, if you're at the Red Sea, and somebody mentions rebellious exalting themselves, you go, I know who he's talking about. In fact, I think both the stubborn self-exaltation here and the cringing obedience earlier likely refer to Pharaoh. He's, he's got Pharaoh in mind. You remember, right, that during the plagues, like Moses would do a plague, God would do a plague through Moses, and Pharaoh would relent and say, just make this go away, whatever you want. Right? Moses, pray to God, ask for, he asked for relief, and, and if, you, if you give me relief, then I'll let you go and worship your God. But as soon as the relief came, what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart and took it back. Like, in other words, there was a cringing obedience. He came cringing because God sent the gnats or sent the frogs, and he's like, okay, okay, enough, enough, enough. And there's cringing obedience, and as soon as relief, boom, he's gone. And then, after he finally lets him go, then the rebellious exalts himself. He hardens his heart, and he chases the people. With Pharaoh in mind, we remember that God's awesome deeds don't merely bring salvation for his people, they bring destruction to his enemies. That's what Israel celebrated when they rejoiced in Exodus 15. So this is the song that they sing after the Exodus. Now I'm going to read the whole thing because I want you to hear. I think the psalmist in 66 has this song in mind when he's writing. He's inspired by this, Exodus 15. You don't have to turn there, just listen. See if you hear the echoes. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Listen. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. 
Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made of your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And the psalmist has that story, and then he says to us, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Section three. This section still has those nations in mind. Bless the Lord, O peoples. The Lord keeps watch on the nations. Those are those Philistia, Canaan from earlier. Now, here's the thing. Notice the reasons that they should bless God. This is what's a little bit surprising. First he says, okay, Blessed Lord, why? God has kept our soul among the living. He's not let our feet slip. In other words, we're alive. We made it. We got through that water. Twice. But then we get a surprise. Look there in verse 10. You see it? You see that word for? I read a commentator in preparation who was like, "Ah, the word for here should be yet. And I'm like, but that's not the word yet. (laughs) It's the word for. It's a reason. Why should you bless the Lord, O peoples? Because... For you, O God, have tested us. And I want you to hear the imagery he uses for God's testing. You have tried us as silver is tried. In other words, you have melted us to the boiling point in order to remove all of our junk. You brought us into the net. That is, we were trapped. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. I know some of you are reading with Pastor Jonathan, reading uh, Pilgrim's Progress, like that big burden, right? Hunched over, carrying a massive burden. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. Okay, so the imagery here is from battle, ancient battles with chariots and horses. And if you went down in one of those battles, like if you fell off your horse, fell off your chariot, you got stabbed and you went to the ground, you were not going to get back up. Why? Because the chariots were going to run over you. The horses were going to stomp you. They were trained to do that, to rear back and fall. And so you made men ride over our heads. We went through fire. We went through water. That is, we were burned and we almost drowned. That's the imagery he gives as he says, bless the Lord, all peoples. So just, I want you to picture the, the man here as he says this, as, he, as he's calling this. Like, he's beat up. Okay? He does not look good. And, and I want you to, to feel the tension here in this section. It's the tension between these two statements. You've not let our foot slip. You let men ride over our heads. You feel that at all? You've not let our foot slip. Bless God. You let men ride over our heads instead strange. So I want you to picture this man, right? He's singed and he's soaking wet. He's bent over double with a burden on his back. He has tire tracks on his face. Like he looks like he tried to rob Kevin McAllister's house on Christmas. Okay, like this is Marvin Harry right here. You see got Marvin, okay, don't, don't take Marvin Harry's character but take what they look like. You know what I'm talking about at the end of that movie? 
You got Marvin Harry in your head. This is Marvin Harry. Now imagine if Marv looks at you and said, praise God my feet didn't slip. What do you mean? Your, your scalp was burned with a blowtorch. You have a brand, branded hand. Your feet are bloody from nails and micro machines. Your face was smashed with a paint can and a hot iron. What do you mean your foot didn't slip? Here's what he means. This guy is more concerned about his sin than about his suffering. This is one of the more remarkable things throughout the Bible. That's what foot slipped means in this passage. It means I didn't bow up. I, I didn't rebelliously exalt myself in the face of God's awesome deeds. My foot didn't slip. The psalmist's main concern here is not the fire and the water and the battle and the net and the burden and the horses trampling him. His main concern is, am I going to honor God? Did I? Did I remain faithful to God? Did God keep me faithful to God through the hardship and through the suffering? That's the main thing he's worried about. And his, his answer is, God did. Bless our God, old peoples, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. It's amazing. All right, section four. Let's, let's keep, uh, we keep with Marv. You guys want to stick with Marv for the rest? Okay, we're going to go with Marv for the rest. Follow Marv here, and I want you to picture him limping with missing teeth, singed and smashed head, and you should be going, where's Marv going? Where are you going, Marv? Marv tells us, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. So here at this church, we know what this is, right? We just studied Leviticus. We've been in Hebrews. This, the burnt offering, the, the ascension offering, the offering of total surrender. All of me to all of you, oh God, gladly. That's, that's where Marv's going. Because God took him through it and brought him into that place of abundance. He, he made vows in the middle of those trials. When he was in trouble, when God was testing him, when he was trapped in that net and the men were riding over his head, what did Marv say? He made a vow to God. He said something probably like this. If you bring me through this, if you keep me alive and you keep my feet from slipping I will give all of me to all of you, O oh Lord. I will offer fattened animals, rams, bulls, goats as an expression of my total surrender and allegiance to you. And so Marv's going, that's what I'm going to do, as he limps. And now this is fundamentally different from that cringing obedience, right? Cringing obedience comes when threatened, but it's always looking for the escape hatch. But, but this guy, this Marv here wants to draw near to God, to dwell in his courts, to live in his house, just like Pastor Mike showed us last week. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. That's where I want to be. And so he limps. And now let's finish the picture. You got it? So Marv here is limping, beaten, burdened, burned, snared, soaked, and smashed. And he's limping, and he says, bless God, he did it. He tried me, he kept me. Goes to the altar, all of me to all of you, O oh God, just like I promised. And then here's the, here's, the, here's the thing that was most moving to me this week in my prep. This is the image I had in my head. Then he turns and he looks at all of us. 
Okay? So you got, you just got, to, you got to get the image for it to actually land. Missing teeth, singed hair, soaking wet, limping with a burden, and he, he goes to the altar, and, and then he turns around to you and he says, anyone here fear God? Come in here, you who fear God. Gather around. Everybody gather around. I have something to say to you. I want to tell you what he's done for my soul. And I just want you to notice that little shift there. Earlier it was like corporate. Look back up. It was about us. He kept our soul earlier. He's not let our foot slip. He tested us. He tried us. But here, at this point, at the the final section, Marv gets personal. He's like, let me tell you what he did for me. Not just us, but me. So you're looking at the guy with the missing teeth and the branded face, soaking wet, bent double and bleeding, and he says, okay, you hear it? Okay, let me tell you what he did for me. He heard me. He heard me. I cried to him with my mouth, and he heard me. Those horses were running over my head. High praise was on my tongue, and he heard me. I went through the fire, and he heard me. And I went through the water, and he heard me. I called out to him, he answered me. Now, if, if I would have cherished iniquity in my heart, if I would have treasured my sin, he wouldn't have heard me. But he kept my feet from slipping, and so he heard me. He attended to the voice of my prayers. He inclined his ear to me, this living God, majestic in holiness, Awesome in in glorious deeds, working wonders, surrounded by myriads of holy angels singing, holy, 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 saw me in the trial he put me in, crying out to him and said, quiet! He needs me. I hear it. I want to tell you what he did for my soul. And just quite frankly, eight and a half years. That's what I want City's Church to hear in my last sermon. Because I know that many of you are in the thick of it. You're being tested and tried. Harried by day, haunted by night. Anxieties piling up in your soul, getting stuck in your own head and can't find a way out. You're sad. You're frustrated that life is not going the way that you thought it would. The path before you is not the one that you would have chosen. You're burdened. You feel overwhelmed. It's all too much. You feel trapped. You feel trapped. There's no way out. Maybe there are people in your life who are literally punching you while you are down riding over your head with their horses stomping while you're wounded. And here's what you need to know from Psalm 66. First, remember that God is the one who's doing it. It's clear as day in the psalm, no getting around it. He did it. 
He tested us. He tried us. He brought us into the net. He put the burden on our backs. He let men ride over our heads. All of these trials and hardships and suffering are his doing. They are his awesome deeds. There's no hint here of his absence when the hardship comes. So don't try to get him off the hook. The sovereign and good purposes of God in these trials is part of the hope of the psalm and of the whole Bible. Second, then, why is he doing it? Well, again, it's testing. He's, he's trying you in the furnace of affliction. He's purifying your faith. And to be more specific, he's, he's brought you into trouble so that you will give him everything. So that you will offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him, holy and pleasing in every respect. That's why you're in that trial. And so third, you have three options before you. Three possible responses. You can come cringing. You can offer a superficial obedience, tail between your legs, and then bail when he sends relief. Just get me out of this foxhole and then I'm out. That's possible. That's how enemies respond when he shows his power. Or you could take it another step and you could rebel and exalt yourself. You could bow up, you could shake your fist at him, harden your heart like Pharaoh. You can blame and accuse him of doing all sorts of wrong to you and justify yourself in his sight. That's possible in the face of his awesome deeds. Or you can bless him. You can shout for joy to him. You can give him glorious praise and sing to him in worship. You can gladly surrender all that you have and all that you are to him as you take refuge in him, knowing that his steadfast love is better than life and that the goodness of his house is supremely satisfying. And as someone who has been there, who has been overwhelmed and distressed, and oppressed, and weary, and terrified. I just want to tell you what he's done for my soul. My head got crushed, but my feet did not slip. I had a crushing burden on my back. I mean that. I'm talking about me. Marv's gone. It's just Joe. I had a crushing burden on my back but I did not cherish iniquity in my heart. God did not reject my prayer or remove his steadfast love from me. He heard me. He truly listened to me. He answered me and he kept me. Blessed be God. Which brings us to the table. This is the final note. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jonathan said, Hey, when we're reading the Psalms, there's three questions you always want to look for, and we've answered two of them already. What does the text say, and how should I respond? And that third question was, where does the text show us Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one speaking here. I'm reluctant to do that. He's the true and better Marv. I don't know if that works. I don't put an asterisk by that part, all right? But Jesus is speaking here, and he is calling us to join him in his joy, in singing the glory and praise of the God who does awesome deeds. He invites us to come and see what God has done, not just in the deliverance at the Red Sea, 
but in the redemption at Calvary. Because that's where we rejoice in God who rules by his might forever. Because God tested and he tried the Lord Jesus. He brought him into the net and he delivered him into the hands of wicked men. He carried the crushing burden of sin and sorrow, not to mention that Roman cross, all the way to Golgotha. His own people and the nations of the world beat him and flogged him and kicked him while he was down. He passed through all manner of suffering, but his foot did not slip. And after his death, his soul was found among the living, and God brought him into the ultimate place of abundance. And now, he speaks to all of us and says, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he's done for my soul. He heard me. Jesus says that. He heard me. Every time I prayed, he heard me. When we were in the boat on the storm in the, in the seas, he heard me. And they were quiet. When I was at the tomb of Lazarus, he heard me. And that dead man walked out of the tomb. When I was in the garden of Gethsemane, and I said to God, thy will be done, he heard me. He heard me. And when I was hanging on that cross, and I cried out, it is finished, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He heard me. He heard me in Hades. He heard me on Easter morning when I shook off the shackles of death, and he still hears me when I intercede for you because I always live to intercede for you. And so come. Come and see. Come and hear. Come and taste. Come and see what God has done. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's my desire, my hope for myself and for these that we would see, that we would hear we would marvel that we would say, how awesome are your deeds towards the children of man, these sons of Adam. Help us, Lord, to come and to offer all that we have and all that we are and to feast with you on the goodness of your house. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite the pastors to come as we distribute the bread. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.